Welcome back to Game of Thrones 2 Electric Bookaloo. I'm your host, Anthony. Well, we're finally here, folks. This is Ned's final POV chapter. Of course, I had to have philosopher Chad back to talk about Ned. Looking forward to that discussion. A couple housekeeping notes. If you're looking for our discussion of Battle of the Bastards, Steve and I published that earlier this week. Do a search for Bonus of the Bastards, and you'll hear Steve and I do an extended coverage of that episode. Next week, as we round out Season 6, I'm trying something new. I'm experimenting, and I'm going to have three guests on to cover this next chapter with Kat. So we're going to have Stephanie Barbara Hammer. Check out her new book, Pretend to Plumber. Ian McGuinness. He's our resident Scottish medievalist. And then, of course, repeat offender, Jan Doolittle-Wilson. So it'll be the four of us covering a single chapter. Never tried this before. It could go terribly wrong. I'm navigating four different time zones, four different audio feeds. But we're going to try it. We're going to see how it works. That's next week. This week, it's Ned15. Here is philosopher Chad Carmichael. I'm going to teach an online asynchronous class for the first time that normally for me is very lecture centric. When you do that, do you record lectures or? I do. Okay. I don't have my face on the screen. Yeah. Which I think is unbearable. (laughs) No one (laughs) wants to see my face. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what I'll do. So I, I think either a PowerPoint or something where you do a voiceover of text that you want to, or an image or something. For my Greek class, it's like my hand and a whiteboard. I, I think it's not bad to have your face appear to some degree, but I agree that maybe they don't want to just sit there and stare at your face the whole time. Well, some faces are better than others. <laughs> You've got a nice face. I don't know why, why <laughs> that would be a problem. Yeah, right. no, I don't want I don't want that in the world at all. Yeah. All right. Um, well, do you wanna talk to some Ned? Let's talk some Ned. One last time with our old friend Eddard. The end of Ned. The end of Ned, really. I mean, of course he's not gonna die till later, but Ned's not dead. <laughs> Ned's not dead, baby. Ned's not dead. That's right. He's <laughs> He has the most spoken words in this book. He has the most POV chapters in this book. And this book is three-fourths of the way, you know, finished, right? We still have a, yep. a fourth of the book to be concluded, and this is the last POV chapter. It's kind of nuts if you think about it. Right. It's kind of nuts to kill your main character three-fourths of the way through. I can see killing your main character at the end, maybe. This is part of the reason why it's one of the greatest books, you know, in the fantasy genre. Right, yeah. Can you imagine killing Um, Aragorn three-fourths of the way through Fellowship? Yeah, I I really feel like when he dies, which, you know, he doesn't die in this chapter, but when he dies, you really sort of have this feeling of like, wow, if I didn't get it already, which maybe I should have, Mm -hmm. this is a different kind of story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's pretty cool. Shall I read my synopsis? Sure. All right. Ned sits in absolute blackness beneath the Red Keep. 
His broken leg throbs with pain and is warm to the touch. He imagines that the world outside is gathering for war. He thinks over his mistakes and of better days. He remembers the tourney at Harrenhal when Robert was lean and Rhaegar gave his sister flowers. Finally, Varys visits. He learns that Arya has escaped, that Sansa has pled for his life before the boy king. He learns that Cat no longer has Tyrion as a hostage. He learns that Rob has called the banners and is marching south. Then he learns what Varys wants of him. Varys thinks that peace can be bought through a simple lie. Ned must confess to treason and regicide. He must support Joffrey's ascent to the throne. Ned, of course, dismisses the idea at first. Varys concludes by reminding him of the children. He has the power, it seems, to save Sansa. Or so says Varys. So, Chad Carmichael, one last time with... Eddard Stark, do you want to talk about a character, a theme, a plot point, or shall you and I climb the ladder of chaos? Uh, I think I've got uh, a theme in mind. Oh, good. All right. Tell me. I think this is a theme. Um, So uh, when I talked to you before about what Ned should do in one of these episodes, I said that I thought he should have killed Littlefinger, and you... Uh, ridiculed me and you I, I were did. offended by this and you I, I um, was <laughs> and you you're, you were very emotional about it I killed cat's childhood friend without any evidence <laughs> well he was moving on his wife and uh-huh. you know this is the game of thrones world not the normal world uh-huh sure um anyway you re- you obviously you rejected this idea right? i just missed it out of hand but i want <laughs> i want to point out and i called that- you a thrice damned fool what does ned call himself in this <laughs> chapter uh something like remember. that anyway. um so i just want to point out that Littlefinger is on the top of his list of people to curse uh in uh, this chapter <laughs> it's true. Uh, so so you know there's a there's a slight vindication there but mm-hmm. I, I i guess the theme i'm interested in is supposing that he's not going to take my advice and take out Littlefinger right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what would be the best backup plan for him? I mean, he's as you say, he's sitting here trying to figure out what he what he did wrong, mm-hmm. what he should have done. And so, so that's really the theme I'm interested in. What mm-hmm. should Ned have done? Well, that's one of the favorites, right? And this is the chapter where we start to try to imagine what what the best course of action would have been. I'm on the record for saying he should have not have resigned as Hand of the King. Mm -hmm. I feel like had he not resigned, he would not have a broken leg. He would not be passed out while Robert was off dying in the woods somewhere. When he gets up, and someone pointed that out this to pointed this out to me. It might have been Kavita Finn, I think. She said, "When Robert gets up, he's drunk and tired, and he has to make all these important decisions while he's drunk and tired, and he makes bad decisions. After it, yeah. this all happens, after he fights with Jamie, and the horse falls on his leg, and his leg is fractured, and I think in this chapter he's probably got a fever. I think the leg is infected." And I right. think it, it causes him to hallucinate. I don't think he's in his best state of mind sure. from from that point on. And even after 
sort of Robert kind of forces him back into the office, it's never the same. He, you know, he, it's never the same. Now, I'm not saying that he wouldn't have told Cersei about what he had learned if he wasn't drunk and tired. Yeah. But I think that that was where it went wrong. And yeah. So I think that like killing Littlefinger would have been against his character. I think that fleeing King's Landing at the first hint of danger would not have been in his character, right? He's he's a he's a brave man who is committed to help Robert. I don't think it's yeah. within his character to just tuck tail and run. I don't think it's in his character to just kill right, let, someone let me... summarily. I do think it it should have been in his character, and I think it's possible that he didn't resign hand of the king that's my that's that's what i've said before and i think i'm going to stick with that one i think he could have removed little finger without killing him maybe that would have been okay yeah he probably could have bought him off if that also is not in ned's character i'm not saying bottom off i say beat him to within an inch of his life and then send him to the wall <laughs> and then and then tell robert look i, I can't work with little finger he's moving on my wife uh <laughs> And that's 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 a I think that's a better play than killing him summarily for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would have worked. My thinking when I came up with that before was um anyone who's smart would have seen the writing on the wall that mm. there's going to be war. Yeah. And part of the problem part of what was making war inevitable was the financial situation. Mhm. Mm mm -hmm. And Littlefinger's at the center of that. So right. he needed to get control of the financial situation. And ultimately, they were going to tell the Lannisters, we're not paying you back. See, I think that you're giving too much. I think you're put maybe putting too much of this on Littlefinger. I think that what Varys says and what Ned agrees in this chapter is that what killed Robert was Ned's truth-telling. As soon as yep. he told Cersei... Yeah, I know about you and Jamie, and I know that Joffrey's not Robert's son. Yeah, that it was inevitable at that point that Robert was going to die. Clearly, that was a misstep. I mean, I think everybody right, and that's what he does. That that is exactly what he does when he's you know drunk and tired. He makes that what's, decision. What's odd to me is, and I think this is really, generally speaking, I don't think Ned is a stupid man, but this is one respect in which there's truth to that that claim against him. Um, he doesn't seem to see that there's inevitably going to be war mm -hmm. uh, early enough. Um, I think if he was in a mindset that we're definitely going to be going to war with the Lannisters, he probably wouldn't have been thinking, Oh, I should just tell Cersei this so that she can like you know, mm. take her kids out of, out of the, out of the, you know, dangerous city. Well, he does say, I mean, he—I don't know if it's his interior or if he says it out loud to someone, but he does say at one point, "Cersei's gonna flee." Oh, he tells her. He said, "Here's my advice: take take your children. Don't just go back to the Rock. Go to Essos. Go as far away as possible because Robert will pursue you to the ends of the earth." So he does think that what he's doing will create some kind of war between the Baratheons. Or the kingdom and the Lannisters. Hmm. But he thinks that Cersei will tuck tail and run, which is not in her yeah. character, right? Right. So I have a question for you on this. 
So it's it's similar, but it's sort of looking forward instead of looking backward. Do you think that Varys gives Ned good advice in this chapter? I think Varys gives Ned advice that, had he followed it, would have saved his life and helped his daughters. But it um, didn't. He did follow Varys' advice, and it did not help him and his daughters. Oh, I guess you're right, yeah. I, I, I guess Joffrey's just kind of a wild card. I mean, That's right. And I think a lot of people think, well, of course, Varys is the smart one and it is the stupid one. But in this chapter, Varys gives Ned advice. He says, lie, yeah. confess to something you didn't do, and support Joffrey as king. Ned dismisses, and then he thinks better of it, or worse of it, I suppose. Yeah. Does exactly what Varys says, thinking that he can save his daughter's life. And Joffrey ends up taking his head anyway. So he dies. He gives up his honor and his life. Right. And so I, so it seems to me like, okay, maybe it's good advice, but it was the wrong advice. Yeah. I mean, I it mean, seems I like a it, wise course of action on the surface, doesn't it? Right. I, I, I think it was the best chance for him saving his, his life mm-hmm. and helping his daughter. But I, I, yeah. So it didn't work out. So I think he was he's it's too late for Ned. That's yeah. <laughs> that's what we learn, right? Is it's it's really too late. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mistakes have already been made. He also says, Varys says, uh, that Ned ought to have this is quote, ought to have heeded Littlefinger when he urged you to support Joffrey's succession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and I think that's probably true from a self preservation perspective. But at the same time, it's just not Ned, right? Right. So, well, and there's they have different motives. So Littlefinger suggests this, right? Because Littlefinger thinks, well, I'm going to get my clutches into Ned, and he will be ruling. So this is good for me. Varys, at least this is what he says to Ned. He thinks that that's the best course of action because he thinks it will bring peace, or avert right. war, or something like that. I mean that's what that's what Varys says, but I, honestly, I think you can't take Varys at his word about anything. I think we know very little about Varys's ultimate motivation. I knew you were going to go this direction. I knew it. I knew it. Well, you he don't tells think, us. Well, what does he say? He says that Littlefinger is the second most devious person in the realm, or something like that. So you think and that he thinks he himself is the most devious man in the realm? Who else? Who else? I don't know. He doesn't say. <laughs> you think that he means what? I think that if you look carefully at Varys, what Varys says. He means Bolton. He means Roose Bolton. <laughs> I mean, it makes no sense. <laughs> I think if throughout this book, if you look very carefully at what Varys says, he very rarely lies. He very rarely lies. He will speak half-truths. Yeah. He will only reveal certain information. Yeah. But I think you would be hard-pressed to find a moment where Varys actually lies. He Okay, so yeah, maybe he's sort of a devious schemer or whatever. But w- for whatever reason, he can do that without lying very often. And so when he tells Ned, I'm for the realm. I am for the realm. Go ahead and write your letter. I- I'll tell you exactly what I'll do. I'm going to read it, and I will deliver it 
or I will not deliver it depending on whether I think it will enhance my own ends. All right, but who he do you think? He tells the truth. So when Varys you, says okay. he's for the realm, I believe him. <laughs> You've always had a weird little soft spot for Varys, I do. first of all. I do. Second of all, if you, if it's not himself that he's talking about when he says that, then who? You tell me. No, I think you're probably right. He, he Thank you. Okay, okay. thank On you. On that point, you're right. But I I think you're wrong when you say that you can't trust anything Varys says. I think that Varys actually uses the truth to his benefit. And a lot of times it might be a half-truth or whatnot, but he very rarely lies in this book. I think it's a theme in this book that uh, when somebody tells you they're a liar, you should believe them. He doesn't say that he's a liar. Good God, he says, Chad. He says that he <laughs> says here. you've agreed that he meant that he is the most devious person in the in the seven kingdoms. Well, the most devious man. Mm-hmm. You think he's a woman? I don't know. I don't think he's a woman. I'm saying that's you what think he he's says. A mermaid. He's the most... I, I, I'm reading between <laughs> the lines. He implies that he, Varys, is the most devious man in the Seven Kingdoms. Um, right. Here's what I think about Varys, and we can debate that other point, but the point that I'm more interested in is whether or not we can believe him when he says he actually is for the realm. He's not in yeah, it for I don't himself. Think so. He's in it for I the realm. I think it's possible. I think it's possible. I don't think that, and you know, you see little glimmers of goodness in Varys mm-hmm. here and there, but I just don't think you can you can believe it. Okay, uh, anything says. Then you're the per you're the perfect person to ask this question. Okay, I'm going to read you a section. Aned says, "Your own ends. What are those, Lord Varys?" Peace, Varys replied without hesitation. If there was one soul in King's Landing who was truly desperate to keep Robert Baratheon alive, it was me, he sighed. For 15 years, I protected him from his enemies, but I could not protect him from his friends. All right, so that statement comes directly before this statement. What strange fit of madness led you to tell the queen that you had learned the truth of Joffrey's birth? All right. So there are two different topics that are kind of forced together here. The first is Varys could not protect Robert from his friends. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then that's linked right next to this statement. What fit of madness led you to tell Cersei what you found out, right? Yeah. The implication here is that Ned was Robert's friend. Ned told Cersei Ned got Robert killed. Right, He could protect him from his enemies. He desperately wanted to keep Robert alive. But he could not protect Robert from Ned's honor. Okay, we agreed on this? Yes. Okay. With that in mind, do you think that Varys had some role in the killing of Robert Arryn? Because Robert Arryn was doing the same thing Ned was going to do, and he ended up dead. So do you think that Varys had some part to play in that? Because you could construe that as keeping Robert alive. Because if Robert had told Cersei what he had learned, uh, or not Robert, but if John Arryn told Cersei what he had learned, surely Robert would have died, just like he did when Ned did, right? So 
because you think that Varys is a snake, you're the right. perfect person to ask this question to. <laughs> yeah, well, a uh, couple of things. First, Varys seems to know everything, so surely he knew what was going on uh-huh. as it was unfolding um, with Aaron. Um, second of all, Varys would have seen that it was not in Robert's interest for Cersei to find out mm-hmm. what John had learned. Yeah, so we have a good motive, right? Right. But here's the sticking point. He expresses incredulity at Ned's telling Cersei what he had found out. So that suggests that he would not have expected um, anyone to tell Cersei before. And so to to move to, to kill... John Aaron, mm. it doesn't quite fit for that reason. Okay, then two more bits of information because I think I want to agree with you. Yeah, but it's because of my weird soft spot for Varys, right. which you don't have. Okay, two more bits of information. One earlier, Arya overhears Illyrio talking with Varys, and Illyrio says, "One hand died, another can too." You know, you, you've played this game before. You know how it works. Yeah. Now, we don't know exactly what he means by that, but there's sort of this cryptic suggestion that Varys could kill a Hand of the King and maybe was involved with killing the first Hand of the King. That's yeah, my just, first bit of evidence. My second yeah. bit of evidence is that in this chapter, Varys confesses that he does feed information to Littlefinger so that Littlefinger right. thinks that he can trust Varys. Right. So he pretends, or at least in the past, he has pretended to be Varys, or to be Littlefinger's man. So that those yeah. are my that's my case. I'm laying it before your feet. Sure. And look, I mean, my basic view about Varys is we don't know anything about Varys. That's my basic view. So possibly you're right. Possibly he could have done that. I just feel like there's enough other explanations of how John Aaron got into trouble that it's easy to imagine Varys just watching that mm-hmm. from the sidelines mm-hmm. and and being sort of I mean maybe he could have intervened to stop that from happening that I that I believe and decided to let it go ahead but was he an active participant in the plot I guess I don't think so I agree I don't think he's an active participant i do think that he's the kind of person would say i think that they're gonna kill Arn." yeah and and then wonder like is this actually better for the realm or not yeah it may be the best thing for the realm for this idiot to die that of course i i'm taking Varys at face value when he says that he is in it for the realm yeah so i was reading a little bit about Varys, and i I don't think this is revealed in this book and I couldn't remember which book it was revealed in, but apparently he like his little birds are, are actually little kids and he like cuts their tongues out. Is that right? (laughs) I don't remember that particular detail about the tongues. Um, Well, let's say Varys did that. Right. Um, I think he might think this is the best thing for the realm. Right, he might think this is what I need to do. It's dirty work, but it absolutely needs to be done. And as long as I don't lie about it, I'm in the clear. Right. I'm just pointing Cause, out because Varys never lies. 
clearly there's a darkness, uh, a dark element to Varys. <laughs> there's no doubt about it. There's no doubt that there's a dark element to Varys. What I'm saying is that he's motivated not for self-interest. He's motivated for the collective good. Okay, so I just found it. I just found it. I was just searching for it. Okay, good. It actually is in this book. It's in chapter 32. Uh, Whose POV is this, by the way? This is Arya. Okay, go ahead. And it's the part where she's hiding and she's overhearing Varys talking mm-hmm, to. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's Varys talking to? I don't remember. Illyrio, I think. Okay. And I'm, I'm reading from a Wicca, Wiki of Ice and Fire here. Okay. Um, the Torchbearer claims that even with his skill, he cannot keep control much longer but does agree to do what he can, saying he requires more gold and 50 more birds. The forked beard, I think that's Varys, responds that 50 is a lot, given that they are so young. Oh, no, this is Illyrio with the forked beard, but keep going. Okay. Given that they are so young that um, this is a wicca, so it's not written correctly. (laughs) Go ahead. They're so young to know their letters. He suggests that if they could keep their tongues, it would be easier. But the torchbearer replies that the risk is too great. If they could keep their tongues, it would be easier. And you think that means that he's cutting out the tongues? Yeah, here we here we go. Okay. Look, let, let me just say this. Even if he's not cutting out the tongue, the use of these children for this gross purpose is just gross. It's it's just it's evil, right. it's bad. I, I don't it certainly is not portraying Varys as a hero. And I would never say that Varys is a hero. Yeah. I'm talking about his what motivates him to do these things. That's what I'm saying. This guy has traveled all around, and he's repeatedly presented as a master of disguise, mm-hmm. uh, to the point where people think he's got magic or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, um, what kind of magician are you? <laughs> Whatever. You're right. I just don't think you can believe anything that he... that. I don't think we know anything about Varys. That's, all right. That's so, all right. So when he says, back to this chapter, when he says, I want to buy peace, I think when you lords go to war and play your Game of Thrones, it's always the innocents who suffer. Mm-hmm. You think he's saying that because that's what Ned would probably, that's probably what would persuade Ned. Because it actually is not a bad way to get at Ned, right? Because he yeah. has this feeling about protecting children. I don't know if it's if it's if that's a line just for Ned, or if that is generally speaking the line that he takes because it sort of pacifies people generally. Mm. But I I do recognize it's certainly not what he would st- say to like someone like Littlefinger. Or someone like Cersei, I don't think Cersei would care about any of that. I think if he was talking to Cersei, he would say something that is also true that appeals to her motherhood or whatever. In this case, he's appealing to Ned's fatherhood and his general feeling about children in politics. Yeah, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Okay, I believe it. And I saw in this a little shade of The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. When Bilbo tries to buy peace at the end through deceptive means, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it ends up not working, and Bilbo feels like he's a fool, right? He, you know, yeah. he, there's still a war of five kings, and there's this is exactly the kind of thing 
that I think that Martin will do from time to time. But yeah. in this case, you know, it's the, the Hobbit character who tries to use deceit to buy peace and fails is mm-hmm. sort of Varys because, of course, Varys ends up failing. You think Varys is a Hobbit? That's he's he's just a little Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> he's just a cute little guy. How I don't know why you think he's so horrible. All he's ever done is uh, use child labor <laughs> and demand more children for his evil plans and cut out their tongues. He's look. I I'll give you this. Okay, I'll give you this. <laughs> Okay. He he clearly um he has like a creepy presence that when you reflect on it a little mm. bit more deeply it's clearly illusory or it's not clearly indicating a true creepiness. Uh-huh. Um I mean there's something about the way he kind of sneaks up on people and he wears Again these... very hobbit like but continue. Yeah, good point. Good point. And look, I mean, he refers to himself as a spider, you know? Yeah, that's right. Uh, and and nobody likes spiders, right? Almost no one likes them, and they are correct. So yeah. I feel like there is a sense in which Varys is an evil schemer, right? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to find out that Varys is not actually a eunuch. Yeah, no, that's it's possible too. I do think if you look at, and, and I will stand by this point, I think that if you look carefully at what, Varys tells people throughout this book, I don't know that he uses an a bald-faced lie. I don't think he ever directly lies to people. Right. And I think that that maybe is what makes him very effective right. at doing what he does, that people actually believe him when right. he talks. If people stop believing him, he cannot do his job. And yeah. so he is very clever about the kinds of truth he will reveal and very selective about the people he reveals that truth to. Right. So when he says, I'm for the realm, I believe him. Right. But we don't have to agree on this. I will say that when he says that, when he implies that he's the most devious, is the word he uses, man in the seven kingdoms. All he says is that... <laughs> Littlefinger is the second most devious. Again, I said said implied, and you agreed with me. uh Um, I just wanted to point out that you can be devious without without lying. Yeah, I I, that's what I think. And I think in 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 a way, you're pointing out that that's a higher quality or like a more effective level of deviousness if you can pull it off if you're smart enough. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think, just to reiterate, I do think that Varys is wrong. I think that in this case, Ned should keep his honor. Mm-hmm. He's going to lose his life no matter what. We know that that's true because we read to the end of the book. Okay, but the, yeah, right. So you're, so Varys you're speaking... is actually giving him advice that will ensure that he dies without honor, and that and that actually is a consequence. The Monday morning quarterbacking this guy. I know. I, mean, I know that. I'm was, saying I don't think that he's all flowers. I know that Varys advice. is flawed. I, I'm I'm admitting that Varys is flawed. I think he gives Ned bad advice. But I'm saying I can see that he has peccadillos. I think it was smart advice in the, if what you cared about was, was Ned living and, and helping his kids. I think that, that from their perspective, there was a good chance that it would work. I agree. It was smart advice. It ended up yeah. being the wrong advice. Yeah, it was too late. It was too late. And and really, 
I think the thing that baffles me the most about Ned, and I, I feel like through the chapters that we've talked about, about Ned, um, this is something that's come up from time to time. If he was truly an honorable and good man, the way people tend to think of Ned, wouldn't he have had his daughters out of the city days before this? I think he was under the assumption that the, the, the safest place for the daughters was near to him. Like, I will keep them close, yeah. and I plan to leave the city because Stannis is on his way, and I'm going to really keep dumb. my daughters. And, I mean, clearly clearly, he Having did not there, see what was coming. Clearly Ned oh. did not see what was coming, right? <laughs> Almost any normal father, okay? I'm not even talking about anybody who's particularly smart or particularly good. Any normal father who loves his daughters would have, at some point in the previous week or so, felt like this is too big of a liability. And so I, I find it odd mm. that he, that he didn't get that. Interesting. It, Cause it clearly was a liability. I mean, even now the reason that ultimately that he dishonors himself, right. That he confesses. Right. Is I, I take it that he's worried about Sansa and wants to help her have a path to a, to a good life. Clearly a liability, right. If Sansa wasn't, there because he'd been he hadn't been a fool and he'd gotten her out then uh he would have a, a different range of options opening up to him right well or yes or he they would have just killed him i mean i think that yeah, that's sure. also possible and right. i mean but i agree with you that if sansa was safe back at winterfell it would be better for also everyone. like he shows no concern about the fact that she's looking like she may end up with Joffrey, which we've had plenty of reason not to want that to happen. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. It, I don't think, I mean, I look at it and I think, you know, he doesn't really care that much. And in some sense, he doesn't care that much about Sansa. I think that you're overstating that. <laughs> of course you do. I mean, could you say it in a way that doesn't sound like complete nonsense? Yeah. Well, remind yourself that he uh, has made a big show about caring about children, uh -huh. but he cared not at all about the butcher boy that was murdered. <laughs> it's, it's true. Okay. It's Let's a, start there. It's a great point. It's a great point. I will say this. He cares about his daughters. Yeah. Up until the point where he, it's too late, he is the second most powerful man in the entire kingdom. Or at least okay, that's what he thinks. And he thinks, I'm the second most powerful person in the kingdom. Moreover, I'm kind of a badass with a Valyrian steel sword. And my daughters, if I keep them close, will be safe. Now, let me if that's this foolish, theory. it's foolish, but I'm not going to say that he doesn't care about his daughters. Let me offer my theory a, a little bit more tentatively, and, and maybe this will convince you that it's at least worth taking seriously. It's very common to describe Ned as a good person who's a fool. Uh -huh. My alternative is something something like this. What, what's, what is true, I think, is that Martin wants to present kind of honor and goodness as kind of like ineffective and BS. But I think you can you could see Ned as someone who even his commitment to honor is somehow kind of BS. It's like he cares more. He's, he has pride mm. and he cares more to appear to people as a good and honorable person than he cares about honor itself. And so 
when it comes to the butcher boy who he doesn't who nobody really cares about it doesn't really matter if he makes a big deal about it and so he doesn't mm-hmm. his own children when it comes to them nobody really cares what happens to his kids so it doesn't really matter whether he makes a big deal about it and gets them out of town his focus i, I want to say and in in this fits with martin's idea that honor is kind of bs right his focus on honor is itself bs that's the theory The the alternative is you have to say he's an idiot, right? I think a lot of people. And I don't think he is an idiot. That. I don't think he is either. I I don't think you have to go to the extreme and say say he actually doesn't really care about his daughters. He cares that other people think that he cares about his daughters. Yeah, I don't see that. I I see. Yeah. He does care. He cares about other things more. Right. He cares about doing right by well, Robert more than he yeah. cares about his immediate family. That's clearly true. And he, and I think that he thinks that that is his duty. It's complex because I think, uh, I think the best version of the theory that I'm offering would be that he's a little bit self-deceived that he thinks, he thinks that he has some deep commitment. Mm, to honor. Mm. Um, Maybe he's, he's sort of fooling himself. Maybe and it's so, possible. Yeah. Yeah, I, cause I basically what I'm trying to figure out is how can we see Ned as something other than a fool? Yeah, because I don't think he is a fool. I think he's pretty smart. And well, I think he thinks he's a fool in this particular chapter. Yeah, right. Yeah. He thinks that you know he sees Cersei's face hover in in front of his own with a smirk. You know, reminding him that he played the Game of Thrones and lost, right? That's how he feels in this moment. Yeah. Um, it's just when you look at things like, okay, why did he not, why did it not cross his mind? Hey, maybe I don't want my daughter to marry Joffrey. He doesn't want her to marry Joffrey. Here's what happens he tells Sansa, we're going back north. You can't marry Joffrey, but don't worry. I'll find someone that's more suitable for you. Sansa can't accept it she sneaks out and tells cersei my dad is leaving town and Mm -hmm. taking Mm -hmm. me with him and i'm hoping that you can persuade robert to command my father to keep us here that's how cersei gets the jump on on ned yeah yeah right yeah so he's doing that exact he's doing the thing that you're saying that he didn't do Right. Fair enough. He just didn't do it fast enough. Right. Yeah. It just doesn't feel like a priority, I guess, is, you know, well, he, my daughter was about to marry Joffrey. I'd be freaking out. Right. (laughs) He clearly prioritized finding out about the murder of Robert Oren. Right. Over getting out of the city when he should have. Right. So in that way, yeah, he did. He did prioritize what he thought was in the best interest of the kingdom over his yeah. own immediate family. One other question I had about Ned. Uh-huh. There's a line in this that says uh you know something like he could have he could have cried but even now he was a stark of winterfell and his grief and rage froze hard inside of him. Mhm. He's kind of stoic, right? Sure. Yeah, he's a stark. That's right. So I wanted to ask you, do you admire that? Or do you think that that is a bad thing about him? I don't admire it. I think he's had to create 
a persona and he's had to harden himself for a number of reasons. He, you know, he was a warrior. He had to be become a lord. Not just that, he had to become a high lord. So he's had to look after the best interests of an entire kingdom, really, kingdom of the north. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's had to become hand of the king. In all of these ways, his emotionality was a liability, and he he learned to create emotional armor to allow yeah. him to do the job the way that he thought that he needed to do the job. That's not the way I would want my son to live his life. Right. I feel a little bit sorry for Ned that he can't mm-hmm. cry for his daughters. Mm-hmm. But I understand why he thought he had to be- become that hyper-masculine kind of dude. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, I guess I guess I agree with you. I feel sort of sorry for him, and it seems like mm-hmm. um, he's, he's sort of in the grip of, of something that maybe he had to be in the grip of, uh, but that he's paid a price yeah. or not. Yeah. You know, he's paid a price in sort of being <laughs> sort of emotionally disabled or something. Right. Um, there was a <laughs> word that I had never seen before. The word is abattoir. Mm-hmm. You think it occurs in some book somewhere? It, it occurs in this chapter. And I'd never seen the book before, or I'd never seen the word before. Are you sure? I don't remember the word. Yeah, it's in here. And I never, I wanted to look it it up, and then I forgot to do it. it. Okay, so it's Varys speaking, and he says, A hunter lives a perilous life. If the boar had not done for Robert, it would have been a fall from a horse, the bite of a wood adder, an arrow gone astray, Mm -hmm. dot, dot, dot. Mm -hmm. The forest is the abattoir of the gods. It so was not wine that killed the king. It was your mercy. So abattoir, I'm looking it up just to see what the definition is because I've never met this word before. It's British. A the slaughterhouse. slaughterhouse. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the forest is the slaughterhouse of the gods. Yeah. Now we know. Right. I was going to ask you if you had ever seen that word before. No, I've never seen that word. Okay. Um, Notable introductions in this chapter. We meet the word abattoir. (laughs) 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 Um, I didn't find any other notable introductions in this chapter. I mean, you could say that Varys' motives are revealed, but I think that you would probably disagree with that. Yeah, I don't think that's right. Okay. Um, wait, wait, wait. I don't know if it's right. I mean, maybe sure. they are his true motives. I just think you can't tell. Right. Okay. Notable departures in this chapter. This is the last Ned POV chapter. We we lose Ned after this, so he doesn't he doesn't die, but uh, he's gonna be dead. We lose a crucial element of this book for sure. Have we been to this dungeon before? I don't think we have. Well, there you go. Introduction to the dungeon. Intro- introduction to Magor's design, right? Yeah. Okay, good. All right. And then book versus show differences. Varys, it's a very unfortunate that they do this in the show. They rearrange Varys's words and Ned's words in this chapter. I think this chapter is really brilliant for the dialogue. 
Yeah. They really change it, you know, so they try to condense it so that Vera says something like, I'm an actor and I learned my craft and actors know their part, which he kind of yeah. says in this, you know, he calls yeah. them mummers or whatever. And then Ned says, well, I'm a soldier and I learned how to die long ago, you know, whatever. Yeah. This is not what Ned says. And I don't think it really captures Ned's state of mind in this chapter. Sure, sure. So anyway, you know, it, it's a it's a crucial moment, and I think that they lose a little subtlety in the show. Yeah. One other thing, I, I thought it was interesting that uh, if if I understood this part right, when Ned is by himself and he's just kind of thinking about his failings, uh-huh. he thinks I fail that he failed Robert, and he really regrets lying to him. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, and he feels shame. Again, when he when he's when Varys calls Jon Snow baseborn, yeah, he feels a sense of shame. But but you were going a different direction. Go ahead. Oh, it's funny that you say he feels shame about that because it fits with my theory that okay. he cares more about what people think about him than, than he does about. Well, if you think of because you know it wasn't it wasn't a ba- he wasn't a baseborn son. Uh huh. If you think of this culture as sort of an honor shame sort of collectivist culture, yeah. Then Ned's honor is absolutely tied to the social world in which he resides, right? Right. right. It's not like he's not like Jamie Lannister. Jamie Lannister is like, eh, I'm a lion. The rest of you are sheep. Yeah. And uh, I've got my own master morality or something. Sure. Ned thinks about how to bring honor to his ancestors, how to, you know, he thinks about the collective well being of his tribe. His honor matters because his honor is the only currency that the North has. The well-being of the North is absolutely tied to the Lord's honor in that way. So, of course, he's going to care what other people think about him. So what I was going to say is he seems to – I don't know exactly what lie he's thinking of, but I I think he's upset with himself about the lies he gave to Robert on Robert's deathbed. Yeah, yeah. No, he does feel that way. He feels like – he dishonored himself in some way. Right. And I well, think he yeah. does. I think he thinks he betrayed Robert by, you know, sort of protecting him from the truth. Mm-hmm. But you have to remember here, I think he's having some sort of fever dream. I don't think he's yeah, in his sure. right mind. I think he's. Yeah, you're right. You're he's right. He's got a fever and he's, I mean, he, he's just not thinking straight this whole chapter, I don't think. Yeah. Okay, that's the end, man. That's the end of Ned. That's the end. Well, I'm gonna miss him. I'll be honest. It's a little. I I feel a little sadness. I like Ned, and I like Ned uh, in large part because I think this is the best book in the series, and I think that Ned's a big part of why it's the best book in the series. With all of his complexity and his mistakes, and all of the um, the ways in which. He's deserving of our scorn. Uh-huh. Um, there, there are other things about him that are lovable, and most importantly, he creates the circumstances for a great story. I think this is an interesting chapter for you and I to cover because of the affinity you have for Ned and the affinity that I have for Varys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is so unrelatable. I don't understand your affinity for Varys. <laughs> You have it's to just give me a little bit thinking. of credit. Just give me a tiny bit of credit on my Varys as Bilbo Baggins 
analogy. Yeah. Yeah, I do give you some credit there. I think you got it's a not war of five well. kings. Let's start with there. You know, start right there. You got a war it's of so, five, war of five armies, yeah. war of five kings. You've got the parallel. You've got the sneakiness par- parallel. Yeah. Yeah. Varys doesn't have a magic ring, but he's a magician. He's absolutely a magician in the way he can change his visage and become right. invisible at times. It's probably in he fact he tries to buy say... peace through deceptive means. <laughs> I will say it's probably the best evidence that he's actually a good guy. <laughs> I feel so happy in this moment. For this week's Bird's Eye View, I'd like to do something of a capstone for Ned as a character in this book. One of the things that I found with Electric Boogaloo is that... Most people's impression of Ned Stark is something of a caricature that doesn't really take into account his complexity in this book. I'll often hear these two characteristics over and over. He's honorable and he's not that bright. And those are not necessarily inaccurate. Uh, I think we could probably say yes to both of those things. But they only make sense in context, and I think that if those are the only two things we focus on, I I don't think that we get Ned as he's presented in the book. This is a magnificently complex book, and Ned's the main character. I think that we should be open to the idea that Ned 2 is a complex element of the story. So rather than just saying Ned is honorable and stupid, I thought I'm going to sit down and I'm going to try to write out Ned's key characteristics. So I've been chewing on this for a while and I came up with six key characteristics for Eddard Stark. And I'll go ahead and talk about them. And I do think that they overlap with the honorable and stupid narrative, but I, I hope to kind of reframe that narrative just a little bit here. So... Important characteristic number one, Ned is devoted to his family. So by family here, I mean his wider tribe. This would include dead ancestors, future progeny, as well as the current occupants at Winterfell. Now, this is related to honor, but this is a very specific and ancient kind of honor. And this is important for several reasons. Chief among these is that Ned is the literary platform that launches the arcs of Cat and Arya and Rob and John and Sansa and Bran and Theon and others. So at least half a dozen key characters are connected in integral ways to Ned. So of course when Ned dies the way that he does, it creates at least half a dozen fundamental deficits for these key characters and therefore increases the complexity of the story. All right, so that's characteristic number one, that he's a man devoted to his family. Important characteristic number two, Ned has a soft spot for children. He cares deeply about raising sturdy boys and girls in the old ways, but he's also deeply upset by the murder of the Targaryen kids and the way that Arya and Sansa have been brought into a political orbit with the Nymeria Joffrey incident. He's deeply upset at the suggestion of assassinating Danny. He's willing to deceive Rob to save Joffrey. He lies to everyone in order to save Jon Snow. 
and eventually he's willing to be called a treasonous murderer of King Robert to save Sansa's life. This is what gets him into trouble in the end. I think that this, more than anything, is why Ned has to die. He has a soft spot for children. Now, Chad makes a good point when he says that Ned shows no emotions for the death of the butcher's boy. And he's absolutely right about Micah. Absolutely, Chad is right about this. And this leads to my next characteristic. Lord Eddard Stark is a creature of social hierarchy, and within his own system, he's an elitist. This is a point that doesn't get much traffic. But Ned is a powerful lord with all of the benefits and responsibilities of a great house. Now, he tries hard to use his social power wisely and fairly, but power indeed corrupts, and Ned is not immune to it. He knows that Robert is a bad king. He knows that Littlefinger is shady. But he allies with both. Albeit lesser when compared to others in King's Landing, he absolutely is motivated by political power. He's convinced himself that this is for the benefit of the many. But at the end of the day, he is an upper crust elite nonetheless. All right, number four. Ned is indeed a successful northern politician. And I think that I might be rankling some folks when I say this. But in his own element in the north, when he's governing from the seat at Winterfell, Ned's actually pretty good at his job. He's good at glad-handing and stroking egos and making good on favors. So in these ways, he's not as simple-minded as most folks set him out to be, but he, of course, is a fish out of water in the South. And he's no match for the likes of Cersei and Littlefinger and Varys, for sure. This is what I mean when I say that Ned is only honorable and stupid in context. Yes, it is true that Ned is playing checkers and these other folks are playing chess, but it's only true in King's Landing. And this may or may not relate to my next point. Key characteristic number five, Ned is pious. This is somewhat related to honor in that it overlaps. Ned's devotion to the old gods is one of the first things we learn about him. And while it is underplayed in discussions of what went wrong with Ned... It's noteworthy that Asha tells Bran that the gods cannot help people like Ned in the South. And I think that we need to take seriously the idea that Ned was doomed to fail as soon as he left the side of the old gods. It's interesting to me that Cat, a southerner, is the most forceful proponent for Ned to become the Hand of the King. And in this way, we, I think we have an interesting yin-yang here between Asha and Cat. Now, I don't want to place... Too much emphasis on the role of the supernatural in this first book because I think it's intentionally underplayed by Martin. But I think that most people would agree that Ned is sort of doomed as soon as he goes south. And then the question is why? Asha gives us one particular interpretation of this. And because she states this opinion while in the Godswood, it does, I think, recall one of those very first scenes with Ned in the Godswood where we learn that he is indeed pious. Finally, characteristic number six, Ned believes that justice can be had and should be pursued. He can't help but investigate John Arne's death. He tries to bring the mountain to justice. He tries to do right by Robert's children. In this way, Ned is the perfect foil against which the politics of King's Landing are showcased. 
So in addition to being a complex character, Ned is also the literary key that introduces King's Landing. And in this way, I think our discussions of chivalry are really important because while Ned is not a knight, one of the key characteristics of the ideal knight is that this person is a person of justice and this person will pursue justice even if the path is perilous, even if it means the defeat of many, the good knight will pursue justice. And this, I think, is Martin's intentional critique of the classical ideals of chivalry. I think that he embodies these ideals, even though he himself is not a knight. All right, so what did I miss? I got six here, book at baldmove.com, and that is all for this week.